Good morning, GLC. Man, good morning. <laughs> it's good to see all of you guys. Today I will be reading from Philippians 1, verses 12 through 30. Philippians 1, verses 12 through 30. And it reads, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold, bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ with envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, and not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is God's word. All right, let us pray. God, we thank you for this day and this uh, opportunity for us to come together and hear the declaration of your words. We pray, Father, that you would soften our hearts and that we would embrace your truth and that we would stand firm on it together, that we would seek to love one another and um, encourage and build each other up as we see here presented in your word. Uh, we ask that you would use Brian today and uh, we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you, Cavante, for reading our text today. Appreciate that. Continuing our study here in uh, Philippians, uh, study titled Living as Members of Gospel Community. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the cost of living as members of gospel community. The last uh, couple weeks we've been dealing with kind of this introductory section uh, in Paul's letter to Philippians, and really he lays out generally what you know, living in gospel community looks like as members of God's people, uh, those who have been drawn into covenant 
with God, part of God's family. So again, we're talking broad. When we talk gospel community, we're talking broad people of God. So, and that is meant to be visible in, in being part of a local church. And so he writes to the local church at Philippi as a visible representation of that broad gospel community. And how should we then live? And so we looked at roles and responsibilities of living as members of gospel community uh, in the first uh, two verses of this chapter. And then uh, last week we looked at the fellowship of living uh, as members of gospel community. And so today we're going to look at the cost of living as members of gospel community. So the title of the sermon, The Cost of Living as Members of Gospel Community here in Philippians 12 through verse 30. And and I've actually covered a portion of this, a verse really of this text as we introduced our theme for the year. And so I preached through verse 27 and I'm going to refer to it, but I'm not going to dig into it like I did earlier in the year. But there it says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so this idea of living living uh, as members of gospel community, and he goes on to say, um, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And there we see that standing together and serving together aspect. And so, and we're going to get into that. Um, that's kind of a, a, a outline of Paul's letter. We're going to see he's, he's describing this manner of life that we're meant to live, and then he kind of breaks it out into those two settings. First of all, in chapter 2, we really see how we're meant to serve together and to serve one another and have the mind of Christ that humbled himself to serve in chapter 2. And then chapter 3 specifically, but also into chapter 4, we see how we're meant to stand together. In chapter 3, we're standing against um, these, uh, these um, false teachers and false teachings that we're meant to stand on the gospel and not be swayed by false teachings. And then we get into chapter 4, we see that there's this, there's this tension within the church. And so you got uh, uh, Udia and Syneke and how they're meant to be challenged to work together and be reminded that we're meant to stand together for the gospel and uh, to, to not live in conflict with one another. So uh, we kind of see the, that verse 27 as this outline of uh, the rest of the letter. And so right now we're still dealing with that general idea. And so this is the last part of that this general idea of what it means to live as members of gospel community, and we're confronted with the cost of living as members of gospel community. And uh, we're confronted specifically with Paul's experience, but then in turn, how he then relates that to the Philippians. And we see, uh, specifically in verse 30, notice what he says there, that you're engaged to the Philippians. He says, you're engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So this example that Paul is going to give himself is really just uh, helping them to understand the very thing that they're faced with as well, and ultimately the very things that we are faced with as well today. Main point of our sermon is that all members should willingly sacrifice for the advancement of the gospel. All members should willingly sacrifice for the advancement of the gospel. We see this very clearly at the beginning of this section, verse 12, I want you to know. I want you to know this. Brothers, those who are part of this gospel community with me, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me? We're going to see what happened to Paul uh, here. Uh, as Kavanti has already read to us, the imprisonment, the willingness to live life for Christ, but even to his death. This, this, what is happening to him 
is, has been done so that the gospel might be advanced. I mean, it, it, it's similar to, it echoes in my mind, and if you know your Bible as well, you, maybe it echoes in your mind too of Joseph when he says, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. What is happening to me really serves to advance the gospel. So we're going to be challenged by being willing to give of ourselves to advance that gospel as well. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come and we ask that as your word is open, as your word is presented, that we may love it and we may stand on it because we love and stand in dependence on you. And as your words, and people may persecute us without a right cause because we are Christians, because we are embracing Christ as our supreme authority and our supreme love and our supreme treasure, because we are embracing His Word, because our heart stands on Your Word, stands in awe of Your Word. If that be so, may we embrace the persecution rather than move from where our hearts stand on Your Word. May we rejoice in Your Word as one who finds a great treasure. May we hate and abhor falsehood as we seek to affirm, as we seek to live in light of Your Word, love it. Because we know that through it we find this great peace that we need. Through it, we demonstrate our dependence utterly on You because we see in Your Word that we are utterly, desperately in need of You. As we have sang this morning, we glory in our Redeemer because He is the only One who can save us from our sins and from ourselves. And if we would ground ourselves in Your Word, and so love You, and so love Your Word, and live it out, nothing can make us stumble. Our hope is in Your salvation. And so we seek to follow after Your ways, living in light of them, keeping Your precepts and testimonies and laws and commandments. We set all our ways before You and live in light of You that You might receive glory and honor and praise. And so today, let us, let us embrace Your Word. Let me preach it faithfully and clearly that it may accurately represent the truths that You're seeking to present to Your people. And then may we embrace them. May we seek to live in light of Your words today. And may that not be just true of us, may it be true of all your church across this globe. But may they hear your words and find life in them and seek to live according to them. May their hearts love your words because they love you. May those who preach, preach it faithfully and clearly. Where we pray specifically for Pastor Kip today and Bible Baptist Church and Romeo, Lord, that you would give grace to them as we meet. Today, as we as we meet today, as all your church meets today, they receive grace from you, undeserved. We are totally dependent on it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All members should willingly sacrifice for the advancement of the gospel. This is Paul's desire in his life.
and it should be our desire as well. So today I want to ask us three questions as we walk through this text. First of all, why should members be willing to sacrifice? Secondly, what should members be willing to sacrifice? And then thirdly, what should members expect from sacrifice? And really, we're, we're confining ourselves to this text. There's definitely much more that could be said uh, throughout the Scriptures, specifically in the New Testament, about how our lives should be lived to sacrifice and what, uh, what should we should sacrifice and what we gain from it. But I just want us to focus on here as Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians and as God and His grace has provided this as His word to us through Paul, um, as a challenge. So first of all, why should members be willing to sacrifice? Members sacrifice to advance the gospel. We see that in verse 12. We see that what has happened to Paul has really served to advance the gospel, and in turn, that is something that he is willing to give of himself for. And um, he's willing to place himself into God's hands wherever he puts him, ultimately in prison here, so that the gospel might be advanced, so that it might go forward, so that it might be heard by other people, so that it might go to places that maybe Paul would have never gone himself, or other Christians would have maybe never gone themselves. But yet, Paul in his confidence believed God has placed him here so that the gospel might be advanced. And we are meant to sacrifice, to give of ourselves so that the gospel might be advanced. But another way he says that is in verse 16. It's, very, it's parallel to this idea of advancement of the gospel. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here in prison for the defense of the gospel. So part of the advancement of the gospel is the gospel being defended and being defined as truly what the gospel is. You know, we're not just meant to advance any gospel. We are meant to be about advancing the true gospel. What is the danger here? We see that there are people here in verse 15 who are indeed preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. Envilry. I was trying to combine the two. All right? Envy and rivalry together become envilry. All right? In case you wanted to know that. Making up words. All right. But not only that, what do we see? Verse 17. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. There's this idea in which they see Paul in his imprisonment and they don't see it the way Paul sees it. Hey, what's happened to me has really happened to advance the gospel. They're not seeing it the way Joseph described the evil that his brothers had done to him as God meaning it for good and using it to further uh, his uh, kingdom and to protect his nation ultimately as he, as he puts Joseph there to care for all those people in regard to the famine that's coming and everything. Um, they don't see it that way. They, they see imprisonment as something that maybe is not good for the gospel, is not defense of the gospel. Maybe in a similar sense in which we can see the gospel being promoted today. Like if, if the gospel caused you to be imprisoned, maybe you got your gospel wrong. Some people would say that today. Some people specifically within prosperity gospel would describe it as such, well, the gospel is supposed to bring benefit, not difficulty, not suffering, not sacrifice. Oh no, my gospel doesn't bring that, but the true gospel does. In fact, Jesus is the one who says, if they hated me, the master, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, head, will they not persecute you? And in fact, we're going to get to this but uh, verse 29, it has been granted unto you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Like, this is part of it. 
And so, in a sense, Paul's just willingness to be imprisoned because he's not willing to alter his gospel, not willing to change his message, is a means by which the true gospel is defended from that which would not be true. Prosperity gospel is not a true gospel. The gospel that doesn't cost us is not a true gospel. His members are meant to willingly sacrifice for the advancement of the gospel. We see that throughout the Bible. We see that throughout church history. God's people often face great persecution, great suffering, great sacrifice. Even even sacrifice that is not um, outwardly forced upon us. The great missionary movement is not a movement of external persecution forcing people to go somewhere else so that they share the gospel, but rather what? People willingly giving up their homeland, willingly giving up their ties to their family to go to a place where the gospel has not been preached and preaching. Sacrifice for the advancement of the gospel, for the defense of the gospel, so that the true gospel might be known and might be heard. But not only that, why should members be willing to sacrifice? Members sacrifice to honor Christ. In fact, we see this right here in verse 13. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is what? For Christ. You don't disconnect Christ from the gospel. Christ is the center of the gospel. In fact, one author wrote, and I would agree with him, Christ is the gospel. He is the very gospel. And uh, so it's to honor Christ that we would go through this. It's for Him is what Paul says right here in verse 13. But then again, he says it in verse 20. My eager expectation hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. A body that is chained, a body that is shackled, a body that is not free to move about and do whatever it wants. It's sitting in a room with the door locked, with guards there, honoring sacrifice so that Christ might gain glory and honor and praise. It is for Him. Which is the antithesis of our sinful nature, right? (laughs) Our sinful nature lives for us. For me. We, We have our own needs and our own desires and that's what we should live for. Being saved, being brought into gospel community comes at a cost. In Him we die. And in Him we live as His life is lived through us. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. Therefore, I glorify God in my body. It's His life, not ours. It's meant to be lived, which in turn means our sacrifices are sacrifices for Him, not for us. Leads us to number three. Why should members be willing to sacrifice? Members sacrifice to fulfill God's gracious design. Which brings us to verse 29 again. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. This word granted here is uh, often translated in other places as graciously given. 
It has this grace aspect to it. And now we can understand that when he ties it to that very first thing, right? It's been granted at you for the sake of Christ that you should believe in Him. We're like, well, of course, yeah. It's by grace alone that we're saved. We've already looked at that already. It's grace that saves us. When we, when we looked at last week being partakers of grace, and that is He who begins the good work. It's by grace that we're able to then believe in Him. And so we're like, yeah, that makes total sense. It's granted unto you, graciously given, that for the sake of Christ you should believe. But He also says the second thing. And that, that one can be a little more tough for us. It's graciously given to you that you might suffer for Him. Why would we sacrifice? Because this is God's gracious design for us. It can be difficult to grapple with. And we think, you know, God designed it so that we would suffer. That's what it says. That's what it says here. Why can why could that be difficult for us? Well, because we don't want to suffer, right? And we don't want anyone else to suffer. And we don't think it's right that we would desire someone else to suffer and desire someone else to sacrifice and desire someone else to have to go through difficult times. But it is gracious and good for us to know that someone has actually designed it. And that it actually has purpose. Our suffering, our suffering is not purposeless. It's not just because somebody out there really hates God and really hates the gospel and therefore has desires to persecute the church. I mean, that's just true, right? The reason, one reason why the church faces persecution is because there's people that hate God's truth. People that hate God. It's out there. Maybe we can think that's the only reason that we go into persecution. And that can be a struggle because you know, we can't change their hearts, can we? We, we can't God has to change their hearts, and God's placed them there, and they're against us. And if that's the only reason, you know, we can see that external aspect to it and, and wonder, you know, why don't these people change? Why don't these people embrace truth? Why do they have to be so difficult? But then we come to passages like this, and we see there's another reason. It's not just because of those evil people out there that hate the gospel. Let's turn in rebellion against them which we were once one of, but God Himself has designed it such. In such a way that He described it, Paul describes it here as undeserved favor that is given to us. That we would suffer. And again, it reminds me of what Paul writes in, to the Roman church. And he says, all things work together for good those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose to conform us to the image of His Son. What is the image of His Son? His Son, the God of very gods, who humbled Himself, took on flesh, so that He might come and serve people who did not deserve to be served at all. He came to serve us. And in that service, He sacrificed. He sacrificed the glories of heaven for the cesspool of earth. All of God's rebels reside, shaking their fists in God's face. He comes. He lives among us. You know, no matter how difficult that would have to be, God who created you 
lives among you and knows your mind and sees all the rebellious thoughts, all the sinful thoughts, all the evil thoughts in your mind. He lives, he lives among and every single person he knows. Has those. Mary, his mom, had them. Joseph, his dad, had them. And what do we know of Jesus? He knows the thoughts and hearts of men. He knows all that. He, he had to go through that. Every single person he meets does not love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, does not love their neighbor as herself. It's, it's selfish. And he knows it. He lives a perfect life. And in turn, he gives his life. He called the, the armies of heaven to come down and stop. He doesn't. He gives himself on the cross, dies for our sin, takes penalty, death upon himself. And with it, God's wrath and punishment for eternity for our sin. He bears it for us. But all who believe in him might have life in him. And this is the example that Jesus gives to us. This is what he's conforming us into the image of. Into the image of, of one who comes to serve and not be served. One who comes to fulfill God's will and not his own. And this is, this is his design, that we would suffer so that he might conform us into that image. And that is the calling, that we would conform to that image, that we would be like Him, that we would live in this world like Him, not thinking of ourselves, but thinking of others. I imagine you were raised in a home of a, of a, of a dad who gave himself to the care and concern of others. Maybe he's a firefighter, and so you know he's constantly in his community and giving of himself. He's constantly running in and saving people and and running into blazing uh, fires, not knowing if you'll come out to save people. And this is the, the life that you have been demonstrating, the example that you've been given. And even one day, dad runs into a fire and he doesn't die. The ultimate giving of himself. And this is what he's raised you to know and to do. And as you get older, you begin to start your own family and your own career, and you live for yourself. You live for, you want to have the big house, and you want to have the nice car, and you know, you, there's opportunities for you to, to encourage people in your community, to strengthen your community, to give of yourself rather than you don't do it because you're focused on yourself. There's times when you're maybe challenged to, to give to some great cause, and you say, but if I do, I won't be able to afford the boat that I'm going to get later so that I can go. It's not wrong necessarily to own stuff. That's what I'm saying. But ultimately, what are you giving yourself to? Now, how would that son be looked at in regards to the example and the heritage of his father? Would he have honored it? No, he would not. His father sought to raise him as someone who was a part of the community who gave himself sacrificially. And then we look at Jesus Christ, Son of God, who's brought us into God's family. He's shown us by example what a life 
lived as a member of gospel community looks like. The question is, have we embraced this gracious calling of God to us? To suffer for his sake, to sacrifice, to give of ourselves? God has granted us great blessings, so do we then give of that blessing to his kingdom, to his furtherance? We sacrifice to fulfill God's gracious design for our lives, to be conformed to the image of the Son, to honor the example he has given to us of Jesus Christ. So this is the question number two. This happened this morning, too. I had spent most of my time on question one. So I've got to move on to question two. Question two, what should members be willing to sacrifice? What should members be willing to sacrifice? Paul writes here, we see that members sacrifice liberty to advance the gospel. Paul here, verse 13, my imprisonment. Verse 17, in my imprisonment. That's where Paul is. Paul is in prison. He's writing this letter from prison in chains. He's locked up. He's not, he does not have his freedom. Okay. may not have been the worst prison in Rome. It seems like it probably wasn't the worst prison in Rome, but it was not freedom either. He was locked up. He wasn't able to go where he wanted to go, do what he wanted to do. He had to follow someone else's regulations, someone else's restraints. And so his liberty was being sacrificed. But what does he say? It happened to serve the advancement of the gospel. I'm doing it willingly so that the gospel might go forth. But then in turn, we go, we start to move into the, the section, in my Bible it says, to live is Christ. Verse 19. And, and, and maybe sometimes in our minds we could kind of see a break here, but really, I mean, it's all connected. He's still in prison writing this. And he's saying, you know what? I might live, I might die, whether by life or by death. He wants to honor Christ and His body. But we got to remember that the life he's thinking about, all right. ultimately, as we get to the end of this section, he's hoping that he might come to, Philipp to Philippi again someday. So he's hoping to be released someday. But what is the life that he's imagining? A life that continues to be locked up in a room without his liberty. For me to live is Christ. You have me means living in chains for the rest of my life for him even if it means being locked up for the rest of my time. Members sacrifice liberty to advance the gospel, and Paul is willing to sacrifice his liberty. So, so when he says, whether by my life or by death, or in verse 12, for me to live is Christ, or in verse 22, for I am to if I am to live in the flesh, verse 24, to remain in the flesh. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. What's the life he's imagining? It's life in chains with the hope of release, but not knowing whether it will be or not. And sometimes we can think of life in, in some other form, in some other sense in this. Oh yeah, for me to live is Christ if I can live it my way. I can live out in freedom to do whatever I want, to have whatever I want, and to go wherever I want. But the context of this is Paul in prison saying, life is Christ. Living is Christ with my chains, with my locked door, with my guards there telling me what to do. It's still Christ. Not only a member sacrifice liberty to advance the gospel, a member sacrifice life to advance the gospel as well, because he says here, whether by life or by death, and again, within the context, what is he referring to? 
it is not unlikely to have your life taken in a Roman prison. Or for your, you to expire in a Roman prison. It's not, while I don't think he was in the worst of prisons yet, he gets there later. It's not the best of conditions either. Like, people get sick and die in Roman prisons pretty, pretty often. All right? And so he's like, you know, potentially I could keep living. Potentially, though, I could die. They could demand my life. They have me in prison. They could take my life at any moment. Or I could get sick and die in here. I, I mean, I'm, I might not live that long. I'm in a Roman prison, whether by life or by death. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. I'm willing to sacrifice my liberty, and I'm also willing to sacrifice my life if necessary. Now, in some ways, it can be difficult for us to know how to apply this because there's not a, usually a direct threat on our life because of our Christianity. Now, there's many ways that we can die in this world today, but specifically in regards to our, you know, our, to our Christianity being threatened most of us aren't being threatened with our lives for Christianity. We, we didn't come here and, and, and come to church under a threat of death if we were found out. Some people do. We don't have that. And, and also, like it's very unlikely at the moment for our liberty to be taken away. Um, most of us aren't you know, living under a direct threat of being thrown into prison because we believe in we don't have that directly. So how, how would we apply this to, to people who are living in a country with a great deal of freedom? I think we, we'd have to apply it in some ways more personally. So while the, the outside threat that might take our liberty or our life does not exist, realize that there is outward threats that tempt us to live lives of complete liberty and live lives of reckless abandonment for our lives. Instead of living life for Christ, living under His rule, being willing to say, because I am His, my life now is hidden in Christ. I'm not at liberty to just make my own choices. I now live for Him. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I glorify God in my body. It is not a liberty of you know, the, the outward governmental forces throwing us into prison, but rather us saying, you know what, I am not willing to live like I used to live before I met Christ. You know, here was my goal in life. This is what I was striving for. This is what I was living for. This is, this is you know, as little kids maybe have a, a number of them, but as you start to grow older, you begin to like, some of them aren't realistic. You know, you being a superhero, not going to happen, all right? You know, you being a dentist, that could happen, you know? So, you know, you have this, this is my goal in life. This is what I want to live for. But when we come to Christ, what happens? That goal goes, Christ, what he wants, becomes our life. No. We serve a gracious and loving God. And, and, and many times he'll say, yep, and I want you to be that dentist and live your life for me in that realm and proclaim me. and. And, and, and demonstrate my goodness and my glory to others. And that I want you to be there. You know, and that's in many cases that's what he does. He often matches his his kingdom advancement with the things he's given us gifts and desires toward. 
But ultimately, though, who wins out? I'm not at liberty to choose my own way in life and to live for myself. I truly understand who I am as a member of gospel community. I sacrifice my liberty to live for Christ. Christ rules all. And in turn, that makes it much easier to understand I, my life is not my own. I don't have liberty to choose how I'm going to live my life. My life is not my own. I live, I live my life. It's, it's already sacrificed on the altar. Christ has died for it. Not my own. Meant to be lived for Him. So maybe that's helpful in helping understand how would you apply it in a, in a region of the world where we have great amounts of freedom, where we aren't facing these, these type of threats. There's still ways in which we need to sacrifice freedom and willingly give up our lives for Him. Question number three, what should members expect from sacrifice? This is encouraging to us. Now again, there's, there's others that we can see throughout Scripture, but specifically in this text, you can see three, three things that we should expect. They're kind of like benefits that come from our willingness to sacrifice. First of all, members who sacrifice gain a confident courage. Verse 14, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord, by what? By my imprisonment. The, the sacrifice has brought the confidence. What do they do? They're much more bold to speak the word without fear. This confident courage comes through God's people sacrificing, willingly sacrificing for the advancement of the gospel, for the honor of Christ, embracing his, our, our God-given calling to this. Is the confidence. And, and I think many reasons why American Christians specifically struggle with fear in the proclaiming of the gospel and their advancing of the gospel and their living to honor Christ is because of their unwillingness to sacrifice. Their unwillingness to let go of their own life. And so they live in fear. Because one of the results of us being willing to give of ourselves and sacrifice for ourselves is a confident courage. And that's not only there in 14, we go up to verse 20. It's my eager expectation hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. I've given myself away to Christ, to the honor of Christ. And in giving myself away always, but now specifically in my imprisonment, Paul says, I am not ashamed, but rather I have full courage. Our courage comes through sacrifice. Our willingness to sacrifice. And it's connected to like the fact that we're willing to sacrifice. Why? Because Christ has become the most significant thing. And those other things are abandoned. Because where does, where does our fear often come in sacrifice? It doesn't come from the very thing that we're experiencing. Because right here, the imprisonment brought about the confidence in these believers, but for some people, imprisonment could bring about fear. And maybe we would think, well, it's the imprisonment really that brings about the fear. But that's not true because some people have fear of imprison being imprisoned and some people don't. So it's not ultimately the imprisonment itself that produces the fear. What is it? It's the love of what's going to be lost that produces the fear. And the Christian who has given himself up to Jesus Christ has nothing to lose by being imprisoned. Can't take Christ away from me. He's still with me in prison. If you love something else, your stuff, your family, your freedom, whatever, 
you love those other things, and imprisonment is going to cause you to lose them, guess what? You're going to greatly fear imprisonment. What you're called to sacrifice ultimately will reveal what you love. And if you truly love Christ, guess what you gain? Confident courage. This is why the Roman, I don't remember, I don't think it was a Roman emperor, but it was a Roman official who wrote about Christians and the persecution of Christians. He's like, I don't know what to do with them. I'm paraphrasing what he said. He said it in Latin too, so, which I don't speak. But he said, I don't know what to do with them. Because you threaten to take away their stuff, and they're like, yeah, go ahead. My treasures are hidden in heaven. Go ahead, take it. He threatened their life, and they're like, my life is in Christ. So I don't fear you. He's like, I don't know what to do with these Christians. I don't know how to persecute them because there's nothing I can do that can take away what they have. And that's true. That's why Christians can have confident courage. In fact, you go down to verse 28, and here Paul is moving away from his example to the Philippian church saying, you're supposed to live in this manner where the gospel, what does he say in verse 28? Not frightened in anything by your opponents. Because we have understood and embraced Christ as our life, we're willing to sacrifice whatever is necessary in order to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Guess what? We're not frightened by our opponents. They don't, they don't scare us. They can't take. They can't take Christ from us. They can't take what is most valuable, what the greatest treasure from us at all. But also members who sacrifice gain a joyful outlook. Again, we see uh, Philippians has been described by many people as the, the book of joy. We see rejoicing and joy mentioned a number of times throughout this. Um, and we see in verse 18 when, when, when Paul is writing about his imprisonment and about the preaching of the gospel, what does he say? What's important to him? Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And he goes on, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. But what is this deliverance ultimately? Because we want to read into that maybe deliverance out of prison, but what does he say? That I might live for Christ, or I might die for Christ. Either way, I'm delivered. Either way. doesn't mean his, his imprisonment is taken away from him. Rather, it means that he has given his life to honor Christ. And in that, he rejoices. Why? If, if Jesus is our greatest treasure, if he is our Lord and Savior, worthy of all glory, honor, and praise, and we were able to live a life that brought him glory, would we not be satisfied? If that truly is what we believe. See, the problem is we can say it. But we're not sure we really believe it. And that's why we're not satisfied with it. But Paul believes it. And in turn, what does he say? Even in my imprisonment, even in my chains, I rejoice. Sacrifice? It's difficult. It's hard. It's not easy. It's just, it, doesn't say, it doesn't say Paul's having fun here. Okay? It doesn't say that. Paul's saying, I am able to find joy even in the sacrifice because of the result, advancement of the gospel that honors Christ, embraces his gracious calling in his life. Third thing, members who sacrifice gain a clear sign. See this again, verse 28, we're not frightened of anything by our opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. God's people have been radically altered in the way they view life. So that as they live lives of sacrifice, suffering, 
so that their manner of life might be worthy of the gospel, so that Christ might be honored in our body. It is a clear sign to those who would reject that way of living, to those who would persecute us of their destruction, but to us of our salvation. We can see God at work in us through our ability to sacrifice for Him. This is number four, connecting to everyday life. First of all, are you a member of gospel community? It's really asking, have you trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord and been brought into the family of God? Have you realized that you are sinful and desperately in need of Christ to save you? That you've turned from your sins and put your faith and trust in Him and Him only as the payment for your sins, as the one to bear the wrath of God and the one who is able to bring you into relationship with God, into that gospel community. And if that's you today saying, I need that, trust in Him now. Right now where you are, just trust in Jesus Christ. And then we'd love to talk to you about that. Or if you have further questions about it and want to, to try to understand the gospel more, if you have a desire to trust in Christ but you're not sure, we'd love to talk to you about that. Come see me afterwards. Um, we definitely want to encourage you in this because you can't really live as a sacrificial member of the gospel community unless you are a member of the gospel community. Second thing, what can we know about God in this text? What can we know about God in this text? Uh, as I was working through this text, what really weighed heavily on me is that God deserves our trust. God deserves our trust. He, he knows what's best for us. You know, it's His gracious granting of all these opportunities to sacrifice and suffer are actually for our good in ways that are better than what we think our life should be. And what has He done that does not deserve our trust? I, I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself. I know myself pretty well, and I'm not worthy of my own trust. Okay? I would rather trust God with my life than trust myself. I'm not worthy of that trust. I don't make good decisions. I make stupid decisions all the time. Okay? I'm not worthy of that trust. God is worthy. And so we're meant to put ourselves in His hands. But also, what else can we know about God? That God is better than life and liberty. If we want to frame it within the Constitution or whatever, life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, right? Of course, it was private property, but Thomas Jefferson got overruled, so it was pursuit of happiness. Um, and so God is better than life and liberty because he is the pursuit of true happiness. He is where true happiness resides. He is where true satisfaction, true joy in life resides. And so he's better than it. So if it would cost me life and liberty to gain him, it is worth it. God's people are like the man who finds the treasure in a field. Right? And he buries it and he goes back and he sells all that he has to buy that field and gain that treasure. That is meant to be Christ to us. If it costs me life and liberty to gain Him, to serve Him, so be it. How can we enjoy God? Well, as we think about sacrifice, nothing can separate us from God. There's no losing Him ever. I mean, that's what the Roman officials had to wrestle with. Like they couldn't take away that which was which was our greatest joy. And our God is waiting for us with rewards so much greater than our sacrifices. And that's what Jesus tells the disciples. 
He's like, your sacrifices are the rich young ruler. And so the rich young ruler goes away sad because Jesus told him you have to give away all you have. And he had a lot, and so he was sad. And the disciples chime in right after that. But we gave away everything. <laughs> we sacrificed everything for you. And, and Jesus doesn't rebuke them, but he just says, you know what? All who have sacrificed in this life will receive a hundred times greater in the next. What you sacrifice doesn't compare to the rewards that we will gain. I mean, that's why one, one man was led to write, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Give what we cannot keep. We can't take this stuff with us. Give it away. Advance the kingdom so that we might lay up treasures in heaven. That thieves cannot steal. Moths cannot eat up. Rust will never affect. Nothing can take that from us. Then how can we glorify him? Last question. By valuing him over all things. By valuing the advancement of his gospel, the proclamation of Christ over our life, over our liberty, over our freedom to choose how we live our lives, we say, rather than say, what do I want to do next? Or how can I glorify God? How, how might I proclaim Jesus this afternoon? How might I proclaim Jesus tonight? How might I advance the gospel? Show our values by preaching and sharing, proclaiming, declaring, professing the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to all those around us. We want everyone to know who our great God is. And that in turn brings us glory. Even if it costs us something, we are willing to give it up for him. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity today to be challenged by these truths. I hope my wrestlings through this last week and a half, two weeks, this text has helped me to communicate these truths effectively and clearly. Oh, this challenge, but a glorious challenge. Yes, a, a confrontation in many ways to give of ourselves for you, but the glorious promises that come with it, the, the, the joy and confidence in life that we can have if we just live for you, if we truly put you first. We abandoned, abandoned ourselves and our desires to pursue you. What joyful life, what bold, fearless lives await us if we would live this way. May it be so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.